too. What a blessing to see so many visitors here this morning. Uh, in case uh, maybe you haven't been here the last three weeks or uh, maybe missed a couple, just for sake of review, we started this about four weeks ago on our uh, evening services, Timeless Truths from the book of 1 Kings. Uh, and we started this uh, several weeks ago and we were looking, uh, just finished chapter 1, and we're studying together some of the history of Israel here and um, we are looking at it closely to see some timeless truths that we can apply to our lives today as well. And so as we're continuing in this series, just to recall some of the history here in Israel um, from the, uh, during the time of the of Old Testament. There we go. All right. Uh, this is the time frame that we're looking at here. We've uh, when you look at the history of Israel in the Old Testament, you have the patriarchs, you have Israel starting to form in number, uh, eventually uh, the conquest of the land as well after the uh, time in the wilderness. Um, we have the time of judges, um, and then we have the time of the kings, which we are in currently, and it's marked by that little blue uh, space there. And so First and Second Kings takes up about that uh, time period there, and and really the two books go hand in hand. They can almost be one book because it starts uh, with Israel and, and almost all of its glory in the promised land underneath King David, and Second Kings ends with Israel in complete uh, demise. Uh, and so as we've looked at this, chapter 1, just to recall, King David, uh, the King David himself, the uh, mighty ruler, uh, he is on his deathbed, he is at the end of his life. And uh, there is a transition taking place in the time of Israel, a transition that most people thought uh, maybe would never come because uh, most people uh, thought David might have been doing a, a very good job leading the nation. But nonetheless, the time came. He's on his deathbed, and we saw in chapter 1 that his oldest living son, Adonijah, promotes himself forward. We called him the opportunist. And promoting his own agenda, promoting himself, and he gets Joab on board, uh, the captain of the guard, and Abiathar, one of the high priests, on board as well, supporting him as the next king. And no doubt, those men and other men as well, and women, supported Adonijah because maybe he made more human logical sense than God's chosen man, Solomon, who was a lot younger, who had, wasn't... Um, decorated in battle and all of these different things. And so we see Adonijah push himself forward. And the first week, the timeless truth that we saw was that pride destroys the work of God. Especially in a time of transition, Adonijah is just making things worse. He's allowing Satan to get in. Uh, and pride is always, always going to end in a disastrous result. And then the next week, we continued in chapter 1 and saw... Nathan the prophet, his response to what Adonijah is doing. This is clearly against God's uh, revealed will. Solomon was going to be the next king. That was already revealed. And so Nathan, we call the loyalist, takes it to King David, takes his concern uh, and impacts King David to action to tell um, Zadok, Nathan, and Benaiah uh, to go and anoint Solomon king in chapter 1. And, and and in week two, we saw that Nathan was a loyalist, not necessarily to David, but to God and God's word as a prophet of God. And we saw that it was backed up by his action, and our timeless truth was that we need to have that same loyalty to God and the word of God. And then last week, we looked at the end of chapter one, and we saw Adonijah 
as it is revealed, as King Solomon is anointed the next king of Israel, and a word gets to Adonijah, and he's scared for his life, and he runs to the tabernacle, and he grabs hold of the horns of the brazen altar, uh, proclaiming sanctuary, uh, that they could not kill him there. And uh, word gets to Solomon, and Solomon spares his life on the condition that Adonijah behave himself well, from there on out. And last week we looked at the fact that Adonijah really should have known better. I mean, he watched his old, older brother Absalom do the exact same thing and watched the, uh, an even worse result. And we looked at the topic of prudence last week, having caution in our lives to be able to see the potential effects of a decision or a choice or a standard that we allow in our church and our family and our life. Adonijah definitely should have known better. And that's what we looked at last week. Finishing chapter 1, and now we get into chapter 2, and we want to make sure uh, that we understand everything that's happening here. So before we get into chapter 2, I want to bring to our attention the fact that the events that take place in uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and chapter 29, when David addresses all of Israel, is actually believed to have taken place between the time frame of 1 Kings chapter 1 and 1 Kings chapter 2 when David addresses his son Solomon uh, pretty much on his deathbed. And so um, we're not going to go look at that because we're studying through 1 Kings, but just for our attention kind of chronologically here, this evening, those two chapters when David addresses Israel, it's believed the time frame is between uh, these two chapters. And so this evening, this brings us to 1 Kings chapter 2 where we see King David just address Solomon right before his death. And we're going to look at a timeless truth tonight that hopefully can be applied to all of us. In some ways, it's review from a study that we did several months ago uh, that we called Passing on the Baton of Christianity. If you, have, uh, if you had the opportunity, uh, think with me here tonight and use your imagination. If you had the opportunity to maybe tell your kids or your grandkids or maybe just the next generation of teenagers and children one final thing before you died, what would that be? Uh, what would your message be to your kids with, for the final time that you could speak to them or your grandchildren or the next generation of Christians? What would be the last thing that you would want to leave them with? No doubt if we were to start naming things all around the room, we would talk about priceless and timeless truths that are essential for the Christian life. They're essential for living. And here we have a situation where King David knows he's on his deathbed. He knows he's going to die soon. No doubt people around him knew as well. And we get this from a verse 1 in chapter 2 here. Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, and we'll look at that, uh, what David says here in a second. So in one of his last acts, he tells his successor to the throne, who is also his son, one final message, one final word of advice, you might say, to his son Solomon. And I think we can learn a lot from some of King David's final words here this evening to, you might say, the next generation of his time. So let's read here in 1 Kings chapter 2, starting in verse 1, and we are going to get through uh, verse 12 this evening. We're going to look at King David's final advice. Chapter 2, verse 1, Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all, all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself, show thyself a man. 
And keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest, whithersoever thou turnest thyself. That the Lord may continue his word which he spake concerning me, saying, If thy children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their hearts and with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. Moreover, thou knowest also what Joab, the son of Zarias, did to me, and what he did to the two captains of the host of Israel, unto Abner, the son of Ner, and unto Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he slew, and shed the blood of war and peace, and put the blood of war upon his girdle that was about his loins, and in his shoes that were on his feet. Do therefore according to thy wisdom, and let not his whore head go down to the grave in peace. But show kindness unto the sons of Barzile, the Gileadite, and let them be of those that eat at thy table, for so they came to me when I fled because of Absalom thy brother. And behold, thou hast with thee Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite of Bahurim, which cursed me with a grievous curse in the day when I went to Mahanim. But he came down to meet me at Jordan, and I swear to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put thee to death with the sword. Now therefore hold him not guiltless, for thou art a wise man, and knowest what thou oughtest to do unto him. But his whorehead bring thou down to the grave with blood. So David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the days that David reigned over Israel were forty years. Seven years reigned he in Hebron, and thirty and three years reigned he in Jerusalem. Let's pray this evening before we dive into this next part of our narrative here and first kings. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to study your word, for the opportunity we have to hold your word in our country and have it at easy access. And I just pray that tonight that um, we would be able to understand this uh, passage, this account a little bit better so that we can apply some timeless truths to our lives as well in our day and age. We just pray that you would give me the words to say tonight, give me wisdom, and pray that our hearts will be open to what you have for us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are. Solomon is the next king of Israel. It's official. Um, Adonijah's scheme didn't play out. Uh, king Solomon is now king of Israel. And the time of David's reign is coming to a close. And time is running out. And David has some wise words for his son. So the first thing I want to look at this evening is David's practical truth for life that he gives Solomon. And that really is the first thing that he starts with here uh, in his speech and his message to his son Solomon. So the first thing that David wants Solomon to know is vitally important. Solomon, if you get nothing else, my son, get this. And then he starts his speech. But a couple things to realize that maybe David had going through his mind as he gave this truth to his son Solomon. The first one is that idol worship was very rampant during this time. Um, the Israelites were constantly struggling with this because of uh, times in the past where they didn't um, chase out all of the inhabitants of the land or they married into another nation, whatever it might be. And we see in 2 Kings chapter 17 and all throughout the book of 1 Kings that we're going to read and study this is an ongoing problem. They keep going back to, they keep um, uh, seeing it as, as a, an enticement for some reason. Even when we look at Psalm chapter 7, 78, we see a little bit of the attitude during this time and as a whole, uh, during the time of David and the kings. 
Uh, and it says this in Psalm 78, 56 through 59, Yet they tempted and provoked the Most High God, and kept not His testimonies, but turned back and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful bow, for they provoked Him to anger with their high places, and moved Him to jealousy with their graven images. This was an ongoing problem. And so before we look at exactly the message of what David says here, David has this in mind as well. I mean, his son's about to take over the nation. He's about to be the the most powerful ruler in the world at that time. And no doubt, as David starts to give him this advice and give him this wisdom from the Lord, there's part of him that says, you're going to need this, Solomon. Because even in our day and age today, Solomon... Our nation is really struggling with this. And we know that's obviously true because unfortunately Solomon struggles with it as his life progresses. And so we see that it's important to understand that and understanding the time in Israel will shed some light on David's last words here as well. But what else do we know, all right? David knew that Solomon would have many different voices shouting for his attention. When you're the king of Israel, when you're the king of a nation, there are many things that are pressuring you. There are many people that are pressuring you. And as we go on in 1 Kings, we're going to see an ongoing uh, trend of counselors to the king. Some of them are going to be godly counselors. Some of them are going to be selfish counselors, kind of opportunists like we saw in Adonijah's life. But the fact of the matter is, David realized that idols being one of these voices, women being one, pagan worship being one, the world, people close to the king who try to push their agenda, all of these different voices We're going to be surrounding his son Solomon as he took over the nation. There are going to be many, many things in this new king's life that Solomon would have to block out and discern through. We're also going to see this as we continue our study, as we see counselors as well. Now, before we see how ridiculous Israel is for falling into these pressures constantly, you have to realize the cunningness of the devil. He was just as cunning then as he is today. These are influences day in and day out in the entertainment of their day or the possessions of their day or the people of their day, whatever it might be. Satan was very, very cunning with how he introduced idol worship into the Israelites' life. With how he introduced different things um, throughout that just shouted uh, for their attention. And unfortunately, we're going to see over and over again kings of the nation of Israel giving in to those things. It's important. David's giving some very sound advice that if Solomon would heed to, Solomon would listen to, it would serve him well in a world and a nation where so many different voices were shouting for his attention. Satan was able to get some of the strongest children of Israel to fall. David himself. We're going to see Solomon. The means he uses to do it are very similar as they are today. He attracts our senses. He attracts the eyes, the ears. He attracts our emotions. David was king for 40 years and realized that Solomon would experience the exact same pulls that he had in his his life, possibly even worse. And the eyes of the entire nation is on Solomon now. As the time grew worse and farther from God, this Advice he's about to give Solomon is very, very key. So he starts with this uh, as he starts his, his message here. So in light of all this, Solomon, the current uh, world around us and everything you're going to face surrounding the throne, King David tells Solomon to be persistent or, uh, presently and mentally strong. Right? That's what he's saying here when he says, be strong, 
uh, be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. So be strong and show yourself a man. Realize this, um, this evening that Solomon's age, we already talked about, it's like 19 or 20 years old. This is very practical advice for King David to be telling Solomon at this point in his life. He already has an older brother that already showed his heart that he wanted the throne. And Solomon's going to have to behave himself very strong mentally and presently as the next king of Israel. It's very similar to uh, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and 13, uh, verse 16, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Solomon would need strength to lead the people, a strong voice to lead, and a strong presence as king, and a strong mind from all the different voices that were going to come into his life when he took, when, as he takes leadership. But then he goes on, King David goes on, and we see more truths that he gives to Solomon here. And simply stated, it's this, in light of the, the world around you, Solomon, uh, that he would reign in, David tells Solomon to follow the Lord. That's, that's the message here that he's talking about. In verses 3 and 4, David tells Solomon to keep the charge of the Lord. Solomon, I know firsthand the pressure of this world, the voices of people's agenda, and Satan's deceptiveness. Solomon, you are dealing with the same idolatry I had to fight off. Remember this, Solomon. The only voice, the only person you should feel pressure to follow and please is your God's. Solomon, this is what distinguishes us, our nation, from the rest of the world around us. Israel has the one true God. Follow Him. Keep His charge. Walk in that way. Walk, Solomon, or live your life in His ways. Keep the ceremonial law, the law and principles God had given Israel for the ceremonies of their religion. The moral law, the principles and the commands of God's holiness and purity. And the judiciary law, law specific to Israel and the Jews themselves. Keep those laws that God has given Israel. Us, Solomon. Verse 4 speaks of God's promise to David concerning his seed on the throne of Israel. And uh, that promise is back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. And we see this promise is given to David saying, If thy children take heed to their way, they are directed to walk in even the way of the Lord, and not turn to the right hand or to the left. Uh, to walk before me in truth. In sincerity and integrity of their hearts, according to the word of truth and under the influence of the spirit of truth. And he talks about with all their hearts and, and the promise that he gives here is that uh, the throne of David um, would continue on forever and ever. And if you study this, this uh, uh, promise in several ways, you have to understand that there's a condition and there's also uh, and it's, there's a promise that isn't conditional as well. The condition is this, that to actually have earthly rulers that are in David's line follow him in the time of Israel, his family would have to serve the Lord with all their heart. The unconditional promise is this, that from the line of David, there would be a king that would reign forever and ever, and that's Jesus Christ. And so that's the promise he's referring to here uh, as he speaks to Solomon, and he's saying, remember, remember, this is, this is what God has told us. I mean, if we keep his ways and we keep his charge and we obey his law and we serve him with all of our hearts, he's going to bless our reign, is what he's saying. Make sure, Solomon, in the midst of all this, as you take over ruling the nation of Israel, that you get this practical truth for your life and for the nation of Israel. Follow the Lord and his leading. 
Don't listen to these other voices. Don't listen to the deceptiveness of Satan, other people's agenda, other nations' agenda. Follow after God. This is priceless advice that we're going to see that most of the kings, unfortunately, that we're going to see in this book should have taken, should have heeded to, even at times Solomon himself. So that's the first thing we see here in, in David's final message, final word to Solomon. It's a practical truth for life. But then David starts to get specific, and he gives specific truth for some specific circumstances Solomon is going to face. And so, specific truth for specific circumstances. When I think of this, when you talk about something specific, you're talking about something that is almost customized for a specific purpose. Um, when, we are, when you take algebra or math or arithmetic, um, let's take algebra. Let's say you have uh, homework and you have to do all these algebra problems. And it would be great if all of the problems had the same answer, right? If you could just solve one problem and that was the answer to all of the problems, right? And in some ways in algebra, there are theories that help you get to the specific answer that you need to that problem. But the fact of the matter is they're different problems. You're going to get a different specific answer for that algebra problem. And so here as David progresses in his message, he's going to deal with some specific things that Solomon is going to have to face. And uh, it kind of gets lost in this message, but I want to bring them out uh, this evening and see if we can understand them a little bit better because David throws out some names here and some pretty harsh punishments uh, and a blessing to one as well. And so let's understand these characters a little bit more tonight. The first one that he uh, uh, speaks of is Joab, all right? David starts by giving Solomon uh, overall truth about walking according to God's commands, but now gives him specific advice. Just as if your child was getting advice from you for a specific situation, that's kind of the situation here in Solomon's life. So Joab, David refers to some specific acts that Joab had committed. Now we do see several times Joab um, supporting David's reign, but unfortunately, we also see several acts of Joab that was kind of just a, a man that had leadership in the army and almost abused that leadership and just got rid of people that were in his way. Uh, and that's what David is going to bring out here a little bit as well. And so besides the fact that Joab had sided with Adonijah just uh, a few moments before, and he was also the one who killed Absalom, David's son, Joab, Joab had some other things as well he was to answer for. The first one was this, Joab, uh, or Joab had killed two captains out of cold blood. These two captains were Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jether. Abner uh, served under King Saul. All right, so let's get the time frame here. Joab is actually older in age, just like David here, because he's been here throughout David's entire reign. Um, even before that. And so Abner was a captain of the guard underneath King Saul, the first king of Israel. And um, Joab had a jealousy of his command and probably thought that when David became king, he might have competition for um, the captain of the guard. We don't know what went through his mind, but one of his first acts after David became king was for this man Abner in cold blood. And David remembered that. And David actually laments over Abner's death in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verses 33 through 34. You can read about that. The second man is Amasa, was a son of David's sister, Abigail. The name of her husband uh, is uh, elsewhere. But um, 
It's uh, this, this Amasa took the side of Absalom when that prince rebelled against his father. But David uh, forgave this as we see the story progress in 2 Samuel 17 and 2 Samuel 19. And after um, all of the uh, things that happened with Absalom Amasa, uh, and Amasa, Joab gave him a fatal wound with a sword which he held hidden in his left hand. And as you read that story of Amasa, Joab built confidence with this man and then turned on him and killed him in, in cold blood. So that's what David's referring to when he's referring to Joab here when you look at the, uh, um, what he refers to in verse 5. All right? these, these are the men that he's talking about and what exactly Joab had done. So David's counsel, what does he say to do with Joab? His counsel is that even though Joab is old, which is the phrase there that you see, a whore head, it means a, a gray head, he's older in age. Um, even though he's old, don't let him die of natural causes. Let him pay for his crime, is basically what he is telling Solomon. He's killed these men in cold blood. He's a man, Solomon, that throughout my reign has, on different occasions, just murdered someone just because they were in the way, or just because he was jealous, or whatever it might be. So that's, that's what we see here in verse 5 when he talks about Joab um, and he leaves it up to Solomon, that's what he says, do uh, as thou wouldest, all right, but the end result should be death, all right? So do it according to how you would do it, Solomon, but he's got to pay. He's got to be punished for what he's done. Then he goes on and he speaks of uh, the next person in our narrative here that he brings out. Let's see if I can get this up. All right, well, I'll just read it out. Bar Barzile, the Gileadite, all right? If you look in this, just follow along in the verses here this evening as we look at this. Who is this man? All right, we read of him in 2 Samuel chapter 19 and verse 31, all right? Uh, and the verse says this, And Barzile, the Gileadite, came down from Rogalim and went over Jordan with the king to conduct him over Jordan. And so this man, he receives a blessing here from David. And the reason is that during David's flight from his own son Absalom, which he looked at, uh, which we actually looked at this morning, a man and most likely his family named Barzile helped David escape over the Jordan River without being caught or noticed. Uh, no doubt putting his own life on the line if he were to be caught uh, by some of Absalom's men. And so David offers praise for this man. Unlike Joab here, and tells Solomon to treat his sons, this man's sons, as if they were David or Solomon's sons as well. He says, let them eat at thy table. It's the same phrase that we see uh, David refer to in, with Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 7 through 11. All right, to treat him, there's a blessing here. And so that's that character, Barzile. He is someone who helped David escape uh, the grasp of his son Absalom. And then we see Shimei. The son of Gera, all right? And Shimei met David in 2 Samuel chapter 16 in verse 7. And it says this, And thus said Shimei when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, and thou man of Belial. Right? This man also gets a um, harsh result from King David here as well. Because as King David, back when he was running from King Saul, this man finds him and he's almost, you could think of a supporter of King Saul. 
Um, and he sings King David that everybody knows is going to be the next king of Israel. Uh, it's already been um, anointed and all these different things. And he sees David, uh, and the phrase come out, come out means get out. Get out. Leave us alone, all right? You're a bloody man. The blood of many of these people are on your hands or whatever it might be. And he gives the next king of Israel, one of the most powerful rulers in the world, a very strong cursing. And David remembered that, but um, in some ways, Shimei tried to uh, help himself out that when King David became king of Israel, guess who was one of the first ones to welcome him now? Shimei, all right? And more than likely, it was because he realized that this was indeed God's will, and he was in a little bit of danger here uh, because of what he had done to this king as he was on the run. And so this man... Uh, no doubt, as David is telling this, he brings Shimei up to remind Solomon of, of his oath uh, that he personally said he would not harm him, but also to warn Solomon of him. And we're going to see why in the, in the coming chapter as well, because Shimei is going to come back up again. But there's almost a warning here. Solomon, uh, I know this man, Shimei, he's in our nation. Beware of him. He's done this to me in the past. He also is someone to look out for. In verse 9, David tells Solomon not to view him as innocent. Don't let him go unpunished. He, is viewed, uh, he was viewed as a dangerous enemy of the throne, is basically what David is telling Solomon here. And so those are the characters that we see there uh, in this chapter. And these are just specific truths for specific circumstances in Solomon's life. Right? We've got the practical truth David gives Solomon to follow the Lord in this day and age of their time. And then he gets more specific and gives some specific truth. But I want you to realize as we look at these last couple of verses, David's life exemplified his advice here. Think of his, his first advice here in, in his message to follow the Lord. David's life really exemplified that for the most part. And as we look at the end of King David's life here in verse 10 and 11, and David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the days that David reigned over Israel were 40 years, seven years reigned he in Hebron, and 30 and three years reigned he in Jerusalem. Finally, even though this speech of David's to his son Solomon was needed and important, David's life overall was more of a message and example to Solomon than anything else. David did not just tell Solomon to follow the Lord. He exemplified it with his life. The mighty King David passes here. You know, when it says that he slept with his fathers, it means that he passed away, he died. And the transition in Israel, it's not a transition anymore. It has taken place. King Solomon is now king of Israel. King David is gone. And uh, you see that they buried him in the city of David. It's believed to be on Mount Zion. And uh, it really marked where royalty would be buried after that, all right? Where David was buried, uh, they didn't usually allow um, anybody to be buried near the city of Jerusalem. But this started uh, the burial of royalty in that location. And uh, as, we, as we see this, when someone passes away, humanity will stop for a time of mourning as they ponder the person's life. All right, that still happens today. And in this case, people had... Much to remember about mighty King David, did they not? I mean, as they mourned his life, as they celebrated his life, I'm sure they remembered the little shepherd boy who had victory over a giant with a sling. I'm sure it came up of all of David's mighty victories over other nations. I'm sure it came up of 
David's leadership and, and different things and, and all, of these, all of these areas that King David showed. But even more than that, I think it came up, and I think they might have even sang some of the very psalms that David had wrote or written. I think that they had seen an example out of King David that, yes, just like all of us, had their times where they fell away from the Lord. But overall, he was a man after God's own heart. And I think at the end of his life, this, this message is key for Solomon, but he also had a stronger message in the life of his father and how he lived his life. He was a man, Israel, who was after God's own heart. What a message to leave your son. What a message to leave the next generation. How to live and exemplify it in your life. David reigned over Israel for 40 years. Uh, You see that in verse 11. David reigned seven years and actually six months in Hebron. And this passage here in 1 Kings is a generalization, but you see specifically in 2 Samuel 5.5, in Hebron he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem he reigned 30 and three years over all of Israel and Judah. So a total of a little over 40 years here that David had uh, reigned over Israel. Obviously, when he was in Hebron, it was Judah, and then when he reigned in Jerusalem, it was all the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, And so Solomon now sits on his father's throne. So we see that King David dies at age 70 after reigning for 40 years. Solomon officially is now the king of Israel, and uh, we see that David reigned, uh, kind of how his reign is split between Judah and all of Jerusalem and Israel here. What can we learn this evening from the end of David's life? In the same way this evening, we have to realize that there are Christians here this evening that are the face of Christianity moving forward. There's another generation of Christians here tonight. There's another generation of Christians in the world. We have to realize that. And one day, the next generation will be in our shoes if the Lord tarries. And they will have to pass on God's truth to the next generation. And God's truth for us as Christians is that that carries on from generation to generation to generation. Our timeless truth this evening is simply this. Be involved in training the next generation. Whether that's by exemplifying loving God with your life. Whether that's by teaching them with your words. Whether that's by taking teachable specific moments and lovingly bringing them to the truth of God's word. Be involved in the training of the next generation. I don't care if you don't have kids this evening. I don't care if you're a senior saint, you have grandkids. Um, And I don't care if you are the next generation tonight. We all have a role in passing the truth of God's word to the next generation. We all play a role in this training. So three things as we look at this. um, That shouldn't say prudence there. That's from last week. Uh, This is looking at training the next generation here. The first one I see is this, encouraging them and teaching them God's truth. That's how we train the next generation, right? That's what David is doing with Solomon here. So as we consider the world around us today, we have to consider that just like Solomon, the next generation has many voices shouting for their attention. And just like in the time of Israel, Satan is being very cunning. And very deceptive. And he wants nothing more than the next generation of Christians to do nothing for God. He wants the next generations to fail at promoting God's glory. 
and God's salvation. The pressure of trying to define marriage from human logic today. The pressure of trying to uh, define when a life is truly a life. A world that is telling you to live for self and everything that the next generation has access to, whether that's TV, whether that's social media, whether that's music. The world's message today is shouting, next generation, live for yourself. Just take this short time that you have here on this earth and make it yours. Live for yourself. If you remember last week, last Sunday morning, this life is temporal. Live for God. Make it worth it. Prepare for that day we will stand before him. But the world is shouting, serve yourself. And they are shouting voices that are saying, live for self. Satan is cunning and he wants the next generation to do absolutely nothing for God. And in the world we live in, teenagers and children, can I say tonight, follow what God says. Not what humans say. Not what the world around you says today. Follow what God says. Follow God's commands about what marriage is. Follow God's command about gender. Follow God's command about worldliness, about living for self or living for him. Look into what he has to say about how to live your life. That's what, Sol- that's what David's telling Solomon. As you face all these pressures, just put all those voices aside and seek one, of the, one voice, one God, his commands, his wants, his principles. Follow God's word about entertainment and conforming to the world. Will you make that commitment tonight? How about us adults this evening? Will we dedicate ourselves, will you dedicate with me this evening in teaching the next generation about our God and about serving him? We teach by our words and by our actions. Get to know the next generation and instill biblical wisdom. The scriptures are full of this biblical truth. Psalm 78, uh, 145 and 71. We also see it in other passages as well. Psalm 78, verses 1 through 6 says this. Give, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he had done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. I hope tonight, grandparents, whether you're a new grandparent, whether you've been a grandparent for a while, that your grandchildren and that your children have heard of the things of God in your life. I hope your grandchildren see in your life a love for God, a love for the things of God. More than a love for other things, more than a love for your favorite sports team, whatever it might be, I hope your children and your grandchildren tonight, grandparent, can look at you and look at your life and see that's a love for God. I hope that you mention him to them. I hope that you, being in a different generation than them, can tell them about the works of God throughout your life and show them who their God is as well, who their maker is, who their creator is. I pray this evening, parent, that your children see a clear love for God as well. I pray that you take time 
to talk about God and bring God's name up in your home and discuss his principles and his works and his goodness in your home, in your car rides, on your vacation, during your family times. Teacher, I pray your students learn about God from your words and your actions. Everyone in here tonight, as we teach the next generation, I hope we're teaching them biblical truth. Psalm 145, 3-4 says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another, and shall declare thy mighty acts. God being praised from generation to generation to generation. Psalm 71, 18 says, Now also, uh, know also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. Talk about God with the next generation. Encourage and teach them God's truth. And then number two, practically help and specific issues in their life. I mean, this is practically reaching out and broadly reaching out to the next generation, but let's be a little bit more specific about it now. The next generation, they are Christians as well. They are asked to serve God the same way we are today. They are asked to apply the same biblical principles. They are facing real-life situations. Take those times as teachable moments, parents. Not things to run from. Not things to... That happens so many times and often and often that you get discouraged about, but take it as a teachable moment to lovingly instill some biblical wisdom into their life that can specifically revolve around whatever that struggle might be. The next generation is full of what I love to call teachable moments. Instead of getting frustrated or instead of avoiding the issues, instead of looking down at the next generation... Look for the positives to encourage them and look for moments that can be used to lovingly instill biblical truth and be specific about it. Parents, these are daily opportunities for you all as you have your children on a regular basis. Show the love of Christ and share biblical wisdom on those car rides home when your child says something that may not please the Lord or starts talking in a way or does something or your teenager falls into sin. Don't shy away from those moments. Those are teachable moments. That if you show the love of Christ, can be very beneficial in now instilling a biblical truth in a specific way, in a very pointed way. They need to be shown lovingly what they did and why it was wrong before God. Teenager or child here tonight, be teachable. God says that it's wise for you to heed counsel and instruction. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Proverbs 13, 18 says, Poverty and shame shall be to him that refuseth instruction. But he that regardeth reproof shall be honored. Proverbs 12, 1, Whoso loveth instruction loveth knowledge. But he that hateth reproof is brutish. And Proverbs 9, 9, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. Be teachable. All of us need that truth. Be teachable. And then the third one, exemplify a life that pleases God. The best way we can teach the next generation is by giving them real-life examples to look at of Christians who are in love with Christ, who are in love with church over entertainment, and who live righteously before God. Unfortunately, as a whole... We may be failing the next generation in this way, just in Christianity as a whole. 
Oh, we've taught them that it's okay to miss church occasionally or just choose when you want to go to church. We've shown them with our lives it's okay to conform to the world's standards. It's okay to input filth into your life because you can still love Jesus on the side. We need examples of people who have God at the center of their life and can teach the next generation when they look at your life someone who is in love with Jesus Christ and who is serving them, serving him with their life. So what is your life showing the next generation? Titus 2, 6 through 7 says, Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Philippians 4, 9 says, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. I wonder if at the end of your life you could look the next generation in the eyes and state, what you've heard from me, what you've learned from me, what you've seen in my life, do those things. I wonder if we could say that at the end of our life. I wonder if we could say that to our children, to our grandchildren. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in me richly. That word richly, it's just overflowing in your life. It's coming out in your actions. It's coming out in your words. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And next generation, watch, listen, live, and learn to love your God. Because you're going to be teaching the next generation after you as well. So tonight as we look at this next section in our narrative here, David is teaching the next generation some key truths. And I think the truth that we can pull from this this evening is whatever age you are tonight, whatever circumstance you are tonight, be involved in the training process of the next generation. Whether that's being trained young person and being teachable, or whether that's speaking truth in love, or whether that's exemplifying it with your life. Let's show the next generation what loving God looks like and what God has done in the past and who he is today. And what he's always been. So do your part in this area of training the next generation. Let's pray. Jeremy Father, thank you so much for our study through the book of 1 Kings. We thank you for the example here of a father teaching his son biblical truth, the next king of Israel. And I pray that as we continue to live out our lives, that our lives would be walking examples of how to live our lives. Just like uh, King David showed to Solomon, that we would take teachable moments and and each other's lives to instill lovingly biblical truth, and that we would just be showing with our words and with our actions that the most important thing to do in life is to block out all those other voices and just solely saturate ourselves in you and to serve you. And I pray that you would work in our lives in that area tonight. Help us dedicate ourselves to this process, and we pray all this in Jesus' name.